Every story has a beginning, doesn't it? A beginning that introduces you to the main characters in the story and what their roles are. A little bit about how the story might unfold. Like Toy Story. The very, very first scene in Toy Story introduces you to the main character, to Woody. And I actually watched it, I YouTubed it, and you see Andy reach down and grab Woody and he says, you saved the day again, Woody. Right there and then, with that introduction, you're introduced to Woody and a little bit about him. He's kind of like, he's a hero figure. He's a saviour figure. He's an important character, the main character in the Toy Story series of movies. Well, what about Harry Potter? Who knows what the first chapter of the first book is called in Harry Potter? I'll give you a clue. It's on the screen. It's the boy who lived. We're not told in the first chapter of Harry Potter that the main character is Harry Potter, even though that's what the book's called. He's just referred to as the boy who lived. This character who survived the horrific tragedy of Voldemort killing his parents, uh, who lived through it, and whose life will be shaped by this event. We're introduced to Harry Potter as the boy who lived at the beginning of the story, the main character. And it's the same in the true story of the Bible, isn't it? Have a look at the very first verse, Genesis 1 verse 1, the beginning of the Bible that introduces us to the main character. Genesis 1 verse 1, everyone have a look, we've got the um, church Bibles, if you haven't got your own Bible with you, the very first chapter, the very first verse, have it there with you, looking on with someone else if you need to. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God, there it is, fourth, the fourth word, God, in the beginning, God, we're introduced to God, the one and only God. He's the main character. And what's his role? Well, let's read the rest of the verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the main character and his role is creator, the one and only God who made all things. And as you read on through the story, as you read on through Genesis 1 and into the rest of the Bible, it's very, very clear that God is the main character. How many times is God mentioned in chapter 1? Who can tell me? It's a multiple choice question. They're my favourite kind of questions. How many times is God mentioned in Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2 verse 3? Is it A5, B15, C25 or D35? Who thinks A? Yep, no one thinks A. Who thinks B? B, couple. Who thinks C? 25, oh, we've got a few of those. Who thinks D? 35. Yeah, it's 35 times. 35 times, if I've counted correctly, God is mentioned in Genesis 1, verse 1, through to 2, verse 3. Pretty clear who the focus is on, isn't it? 
it's pretty clear what this chapter, or who this chapter, sorry, is all about. See, the who of creation is the one and only God. The focus of attention, the one who's in charge, the one who's in control, the all-powerful creator of all things is the one and only God. Who created? The one and only God made it all. Thinking it through a little bit more, the focus on God as the main character shows us the big question, the massive question that Genesis chapter 1 answers. It's the who question, the who of creation, as we've just seen. But we want Genesis to answer all our questions, don't we? We wish it would answer all our questions, and one of the big questions we have, or we tend to have, is how did God create? And that's because we live in a scientific world, isn't it? Our world works on laws of nature. Our world is predictable. Our world can be observed. We can look at it and we can make scientific conclusions about it. And that's a good thing. And the reason we can do that is because God created it that way. God ordered it that way. God made it like that. We've got pretty good at answering how questions, haven't we? We've got good at asking them. We've got good at answering them. The other day I was wondering, very important question, how much snot does the human body produce? Now, I didn't know the answer to this. I could ask the question, I didn't know, but what I did, I got out the computer in my pocket that also happens to be a phone and I googled it and I found out that the answer, for those of you who are wondering, is approximately 518 litres per year. That's how much snot the human body produces per year. See, that's a how question. But the how question, and this is my main point, <laughs> not the snot bit. So kids, don't just remember the snot bit. The how question isn't the focus of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 answers the who question. Who created not how he created. And who created? The one and only God, made it all. He's got no rivals. He's got no competitors. At the beginning of time, he wasn't fighting some other God to make the world or something like that. And this truth about God stood out in the ancient world, that God that there's one and only God, and it stands out in our world as well. See, in the ancient world, the ancient world was polytheistic, that is, people believed in many gods with each god having its own sphere of influence or its own part of creation to kind of look after or control, its own area of influence. And an example of that was the sun gods, or the so-called sun god, or the moon god. But in Genesis, did you notice that the words sun and moon aren't used? How is the sun referred to in Genesis chapter 1? How is the moon referred to? Did anyone notice? The greater light is the sun and the lesser light describes the moon. You see, the author doesn't want anyone to think that he's referring to the moon god. 
the author doesn't want anyone to think that he was referring to the sun god when he's talking about the creation of these wonderful things. And so he speaks of the greater light and he speaks of the lesser light. There's one God who made it all. That's the point. He has no rivals. He has no competitors. There's no moon God. There's no sun God. There are no Greek gods. There are no Hindu gods. There are no football gods. There's no gods of Mount Panorama, even this weekend. And the famous people we look up to, the YouTubers that we follow, our family, the people and the things that we love are not gods. And guess what? You're not God. I'm not God. We're not gods. There's one and only God who made it all. And we're introduced to him here in page one of the Bible. That's if you don't count the contents pages, page one. The one and only God made it all. He's the main character of this true story, the Bible. And we're going to sing about that now, actually. We're going to sing a song that is a recorded track, so we won't need the band for it. And it's called The One and Only God. But there are a few actions, and I'm going to get Kate to come up and help me in a, in a second. But basically, at the end of each verse, there's the repeated bit that says, Every mountain. Okay, so that's how you do a mountain, everyone. Every river. That's pretty good for a river, isn't it? Yep. And every waterfall. And then, okay, so every mountain, every river, I'm seeing a few, that's good. Every waterfall. And then the chorus goes like this. The one and only God, the one and only God, the one, guess what the next bit is? And only God made it all. You reckon you can do that? Yeah, let's, everyone stand, we're going to sing this together. Give yourselves a clap. Well, hopefully that point has been rammed right into you. The, the who of creation, the one and only God who made it all. Now in part two, we're continuing with the what of creation. Everything has a beginning, doesn't it? Like this orange. This orange has a beginning. Where did it come from? Well, I picked it up yesterday to put in my bag out of the fruit bowl in our house. And I'm guessing, where did we buy it from? Aldi? Got it from Aldi. Good, good old orange from Aldi. Before that, it was probably in, um, in a warehouse somewhere to get put on a truck to get taken to Aldi. Before it was in a warehouse, it was at an orange farm, got picked from an orange tree. Before it was an orange, it was a flower, and the tree was planted at some point with a seed, and that seed was part of an orange. And you can just keep going back. You can trace the history of this orange if you... Anyway, we won't do that. But everything has a beginning, doesn't it? We could, I could pick anything in the... I could pick anyone in this room and uh, talk about your beginning, but we won't do that. Genesis takes us back as far as we can go. It takes us back to the beginning 
of all things, the beginning of all things but one. And the but one is the one and only God. Genesis doesn't tell the story of God's beginning because He didn't begin. He was there before everything existed. He's the one who created all things. Now, when it comes to the beginning of all things, what really matters is this. The one and only God made it all from nothing. God creates everything out of nothing. And He does it through His powerful Word. You see it all the way through Genesis 1 there. And God said, let there be, and it was so. And God said, let there be, and it was so. God creating from nothing makes Him unique, doesn't it? See, whenever we make something, or bake something, or paint something, whatever it is we create... We're using stuff that's already there, aren't we? When we were living in Newtown in a little unit that didn't have much room, we asked my brother-in-law, Tim, who's a little bit of a master craftsman, we asked him to build for us a desk that would fit in the space. Now, Tim's got skills. He makes good stuff, let me tell you. But to make us a desk, he needed materials. He needed to source some wood. He needed the tools to be able to cut the wood and put it together and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to God, He doesn't need materials. God doesn't go down to Bunnings and buy some stuff to make something out of. That's not God. He doesn't come along and think, oh look, there's some stuff there, what might I do with that? Oh, I know what I'll do, I think I might build a world out of it. That's not God. God creates everything from nothing. And as I mentioned, He does it through His powerful Word. He speaks, and there it is. It's interesting to think about the connection of God's Word to His creation. God's Word to us. God's Word through the story of the Scriptures. In the, in the way He reveals Himself to us as His special creatures in a way He doesn't to the rest of the world. Well, looking more closely now at the what of creation, the writer of Genesis, as you would know, as we heard, organises it around a seven-day week. The universe has been created as a whole and it's described in verse 2 as what? Who can tell me? How's the universe as a whole described in verse 2? Yes, formless and empty. And after this, what we see is God get to work and He brings order to what is formless and empty. And over the first three days, God forms habitats that are empty, okay? Habitats that are empty. I'm going to need some help. I need three volunteers to come up. Yep, you can come up. You can have the first habitat of light slash darkness. Do you want to stand over there on that one? You hold that up for everyone to see. Yep, that's the first habitat. Day two, the second habitat, the sky and the seas. 
yeah, I forget you. I don't know. I'm sorry, I forget your name. I should remember. Come on. Beth. You can come up and hold up the sky and the sea, the empty skies and the empty seas. Day three, we've got the land. Reuben, do you want to come down and hold the land for us? Thank you. They're, they're our empty habitats. Then on day four, five, and six, you'll notice that day four goes with day one. Day five goes with day two. Day six goes with day three in the filling of these habitats. Who'd like to fill up the light and the darkness? James, do you want to come and fill the light and the darkness? All our Everything you need will be here. You need the moon and the star and the sun. Make sure you put the moon and the star on the dark side. Yep, you want to put that on there? Who would like to fill the sky with birds and, and the sea with sea creatures? Yes. Yep, come and grab the birds and the, the sea creatures. And Ellie, do you want to help him? Do you want to grab a couple here? And who would like to fill the land that's meant to have vegetation that doesn't? I didn't do that bit. Um, who'd like to fill that with? All the creatures on the ground. Joshua, can you come and do that? And who wants to help Joshua? And Gracie. Yeah, righto. Come on down, Joshua. Alright, let me have a look how it looks. Have a look how it looks. Let me see how it looks. That sounds better. Oh, those birds, they're going, they're flying straight up. I like it. And they're going to dive straight down, I can tell. Beautiful. It's looking very good. While they're finishing that off, do you see the pattern in Genesis? Day one, day two, day three. Empty habitats. Day four, day five, day six. The filling of those empty habitats. What was formless and what was empty, God fills up with the what of His creation. Now, the what of creation, if you guys could stay there, that would be fantastic. The what of creation has a high point. And the high point of the what of creation is the creation of humanity, despite the fact that the most unimpressive pictures on, that I've done are the human beings. Kate pointed that out to me this morning. She's like, you're meant to be like, it's meant to be like the pinnacle of creation, but they're the, the most unimpressive. Anyway, imagine them more glorious than that. See, with all other creatures, God said, let there be, and spoke them into existence. But with the creation of the human being, there's divine thought and deliberation. It's not let there be, it's let us make. There's something different. There's something unique 
about humanity in all of creation. See, all other creatures are created according to some pattern, according to their kind, it keeps saying through Genesis. But the human creature is patterned on the divine, not according to their kind, but in our likeness. There's a difference with humanity. With everything else, God saw that it was good after he created it. But with humanity, God saw that it was very good. That's right, very good. You can put them down now and you can go back down. Round of applause. Thank you so much for your help. See, we're not the main characters in the story. We're not gods. But we're not unimportant either. We're not, we do have value because we are like God in a way that the rest of God's creation is not. See, God's made us in His image. That's what it says there. God has made us in His likeness. There's a difference between Zoe and a duck. There's a difference between Andrew and a hippo. There's a difference between Derek and an ape. You see, <laughs> that was not me. It's not meant to be anything, anything more than an illustration. See, the difference is, we reflect God. The rest of creation's meant to look at us and see something of God in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we relate. We reflect God. We also can relate to God. God speaks to us. And we respond to live for Him. We can relate to God. So we reflect God, we can relate to God, but we also represent God. We're like His representatives on earth. Our role as God's representatives on earth, it's picked up in Genesis 1. Actually, that's probably the main emphasis. Have a look at verse 26 on the screen, but there's something wrong with it. Can you see what's wrong with it? What letter do we need to get rid of? What letter do we need to get rid of from this verse to make it make sense? Yes, the letter X. It just ruins it. But let me, I'll take that out. Here we go. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That's picking up us being made in the image to rep, in God's image to represent Him in creation as rulers under God. But thinking it through a bit more, in the ancient polytheistic world where people believed in many gods, humans weren't that important. They were just there to feed the gods, to keep them happy so they wouldn't get angry. And they were also there to just work for them, to lighten the burden from them, to take away the work. But it's not that different in the modern secular world today, is it? When you deny the one and only God who made it all, we're not that important, are we? We're not that important. We're just the product of a cosmic accident. Or we're just highly evolved life, life forms and no more than that. 
But Genesis 1 is making the point that the high point, the pinnacle, creation itself was made for humanity. For God to dwell with His people that He made. Now, don't get me wrong, Christians are free to draw scientific conclusions from the world. Christians are free to use science as a tool to understand the beginning of time. Science and Genesis 1 are not necessarily at odds. It's a matter of perspective. See, science is, when science asks the question, what is man? Science is asking, what is homo sapien? And it answers it according to mechanism, according to how we are made, what we're made up of, and so DNA and that kind of stuff. When the Bible asks the question, what is man? It answers it in terms of, and defines us in terms of our relationships, our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, our relationship to God's world that He made. You can ask both questions, and they, they may have, and science may have answers about the beginning of time. But you just got to keep that perspective right. It's kind of like the difference between a house that you see as a blueprint that tells you where every door is and how long each wall is and how big each room is and that kind of thing. It's kind of like the difference between the perspective of a blueprint of a house and the perspective of a beautiful like watercolour painting that's bringing out something different. Science asks the how questions. It's about mechanism, how things work. The Bible's main question, Genesis 1's main question that it's interested in is the why question and the who question. And we've just looked at the what question uh, in light of that. The other thing I wanted, other point I wanted to make about science in Genesis 1 is that Christians are free to disagree on the science and draw different conclusions and still be Christian. But here's what we have to agree on. Here's what we have to agree on. We have to agree that God created and that God created from nothing and that God created us in His image. They're non-negotiables. That's what really matters. That's what really matters. That's what we need to hold firmly to uh, as believers. All right, we're up to part three. Let me just say that uh, if you ever have any questions or you want to clarify anything, perhaps about uh, some of the stuff we've talked about already or any week, anything that's spoken of from God's Word up here, I'm always happy to chat afterwards, and so feel free to do that. Uh, but let's just remind ourselves where we've been. This third part's, I think, going to be the shortest part. Uh, part one, we started with the who of creation, the one and only God who made it all. Part two, we continued with the what of creation. We saw that God created everything from nothing, and that the high point of that 
was his creation of humanity. And in part three, we're finishing with the why of creation. Now, you might think that humanity, as the high point, is the goal of God's creation, that he's made humanity, he's like, yep, I'm done, I'm finished, that's the end of everything. But humanity is not the goal. The goal is rest. Did you see that? There's a day we haven't looked at yet. Uh, The seventh day, all of God's creative activity is done on the first six days that we did down here. All of it's done. And then we get to day seven. And day seven is different. On day seven, God rests. And I'm just going to read verse two and three of chapter two. Where it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. This seventh day is not the last day in a cycle of days, as if after this day we go back to day one and start the week all over again, all over again and then start day one and just repeat that cycle. That's not what's happening here. Who here finds themselves living for the weekend? Yeah? What do you look forward to on the weekend? Is it sport? You know, look, enjoy a bit of sport. Just going to, don't go and just leave that there. Or what about gardening? Who looks forward to a bit of gardening on the weekend? Yep. Lots of people. Maybe, maybe you like to read a little bit of uh, gospel principles, 14 gospel principles for parenting. (laughs) Yep, it's a good book. What do you enjoy on the weekend? What is it that you look forward to? It's a good question, isn't it? The weekend's good. It's good for lots of things, as we've just talked about. Sport, reading, gardening, even socialising, things like that. The weekend is good. But the only problem is, Monday's just around the corner, isn't it? Monday is always around the corner, and then you just living for the weekend again or looking forward to the next weekend where you can enjoy life and rest. Well, the seventh day of rest in Genesis anticipates and looks forward to the goal of creation, eternal rest. This is where creation is heading. As you read through the story of the Bible, you see that creation is heading towards this eternal rest where everything is put right, where everything is in order, where everything is in its right place. And if you're living for the weekend, Monday is around the corner all the time, but not the eternal weekend. When you get to the eternal weekend in heaven, where we, where we will be at rest with God, enjoying Him forever, in the relationship that He's created us for, it will not end. Monday's never around the corner. It's an eternal weekend that we're living for as Christians. 
This is the great goal of human history. This is where everything is moving towards. The story of the Bible shows us how this rest is entered into, doesn't it? Through Jesus, the perfect image of God, the perfect man, the perfect human. We enter this rest by putting our trust in him and in him alone, relying on his work, not our own work, rejecting our own work, in fact, knowing that his works are what qualify us for heaven. We just read in Colossians that all things were created by him, through him and for him. He's the key. He's the one who brings the creation as the goal, sorry, he's the one who brings the new creation as the goal of all God's salvation purposes. And this is a wonderful comfort and assurance for us. It's a wonderful comfort for anyone who day by day, week by week, struggles to see where it's all going. You know, just in the thick of life, when everything just seems like it's chaos, where you wonder, you know, what, what's the point to it all? By going back to the beginning this morning, and in this series, by going back to our roots, if you like, we see there's a purpose behind all that God does. All of his creative activity has a purpose. It's a comfort to know that the world's going somewhere, that God's working his salvation purposes through the Lord Jesus Christ. The story of salvation begins here. Salvation begins in Genesis, and that's something we'll track and we'll see through this series as we see how God relates to his creation, to his people, in grace and in mercy in order to bring about his plans.